Welcome to the Cycling in Alignment podcast, an examination of cycling as a practice and dialogue about the integration of sport and right relationship to your life. Hello there, space monkeys. Welcome to episode number 124 of the Cycling in Alignment podcast. Today I'm having a discussion with Grant Thomas. Grant is someone I found in the depths of the internet on the YouTubes, and he's got a lot of excellent content there that focus on primal movement. And if you want to know what primal movement is, you'll want to listen to our discussion today. I think it is an excellent compliment to cycling. And I unpack a lot of reasons why that is the case in our discussion today. Also, Grant and I get into a great discussion about what center is and why you should care about the concept of center, both from a, a literal physical perspective and also from more of a we'll say spiritual or energetic perspective. So I didn't really know Grant before this discussion. In fact, I hadn't spoken to him in person until we jumped on our podcast. And sometimes that's the best way to do it. And in this case, that was definitely the best way to do it. I learned a lot from Grant. Uh, I really enjoyed his perspective and his discussion. And it's just a great example of how sometimes you just sort of find people through the, through the universe and it ends up being a great way to see things from an alternate perspective, but also have discussions with people that have found their way onto a path that is in very close alignment or parallel alignment with your own. And I think this is the case with Grant. So I hope you enjoy this discussion. One nugget I can offer you, Grant has bequeathed us a discount code. Uh, us meaning you and I, everyone who is an audience member of Cycling in Alignment. In order to get said code, you will need to listen to the entire podcast and hear my outro. And the code will be for one of his programs, which is called Primal 45. You can check this program out on his website, which is smoothmoves.com. That's S-M-O-O-V as in Victor moves, M-O-V-E-S.com, smoothmoves.com. We'll put a link to this stuff in our show notes if you need to go uh, click the linky. And the program will be Primal 45, which is Grant's contribution, one of his, his programmatic, programmatic contributions to your improved movement function. So check it out. And I'll give you the code at the end of the pod. Thank you for listening as always. If you have comments, hit me up on the gram or you can also find... Grant on Instagram as well. And we've got links to all that stuff in our podcast, as well as his contact details at the end of our episode. Pedal consciously. Welcome, Grant, to the podcast, to Cycling Alignment. Thank you for making time to come on the show today and, and talk movement. Um, maybe you can, let's do some, some softballs first. Are you, when you recorded that podcast with Jordan, you were living in Colorado Springs. Are you still in the springs or did you move somewhere else yeah i'm in the springs um my uh my girlfriend and i uh she actually grew up in this house um and uh we were on the road for maybe eight nine months uh with a group of people in 2021 and um she had some opportunities to renovate homes and and uh we ended up in lakewood and renovated a home there and okay. then uh, 
after that project was done, uh, we moved down to Colorado Springs and took, took on a, a much bigger project of renovating uh, her childhood home, a duplex. So um, we're down here, probably going to be down here for this year and we'll see where we'll end up from there. So, okay. yeah. Okay, cool. And where are you from originally? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Saratoga, California, which is San Jose. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, really beautiful place to grow up. Um, definitely took it for granted, but great weather. Got the mountains. You got the beach right there. Um, Really could not complain. Cool. And so I, well, I'll, I'll clue my, my audience in a bit as to why I asked you to be on the pod. I found you uh, in the, in the uh, landscape of the internet, probably, I don't know, maybe a year ago and started following some of your stuff and in particular your animal flow uh, videos, which obviously you do quite a few of and, I don't know how I got on that train. I mean, how do you find anyone on YouTube? You never really know, right? You just sort of, um, the algorithm does its thing or, or the universe puts them in your lap. Right. So I began to explore a little bit of animal flow probably regularly about six months ago. And I found it to be enormously beneficial in my own movement practice. I feel like it was sort of like I discovered when I discovered good hip hop in like late high school or college, I'm 51. So I think you're, how old are you? I'm 32. You're 32. Okay. So I got, got a couple generations on you. Um, and I felt like it was a thing that really, I didn't know I was missing it until it plugged in. And I was like, wow, this is, I was missing this. I didn't know I needed this in my life. And, um, I guess I'm just saying the animal flow is my hip hop. Like it just, uh, it filled a lot of holes for me and, and you probably don't know a whole lot about me. Um, my audience does, but I'll just cliff notes it for anyone who doesn't know, but I've been a bike racer for 35 years. I'm a cycling coach and a bike fitter. And I think cycling is, is a, is a really weird sport. It's a beautiful sport. It offers a lot of opportunity for people to connect. For me, it's about connection internally with my own body because it's so rhythmic and repetitive. Mm. And it's about connection with nature because you can hike for six hours and see really cool stuff. And you can get in a car for six hours and see stuff from an air conditioned box. In between, you know, you get to smell flowers and, hear birds and, and see countryside and traverse hills and go past lakes and mountains, but at a speed at which you can digest it, but also you can really go pretty far on a bike in one day. So, I mean, that's where the relationship with cycling for me is now, as I started off as a young guy, it was all about racing and winning bike races and things like that. And so very much the opposite end of what I've heard about your upbringing, which was more oriented towards baseball and football and you talked for a bit on your other pod about uh, a thoracic injury that you had to your back that sort of helped maybe catalyze your movement into or your growth and progression into different means of of movement, right? Different relationship with your body. And yeah. And I think cycling is so it's it's so bizarrely um, even amongst endurance sports, which tend to build this pattern interference is a term that Paul Check would use, right? I've said a lot with Paul. Um, which is really just too much movement in the same plane and in a res- very restricted uh, range of motion, but probably also in very fo- narrow force windows. And so the body gets this sort of repetitive um, pattern interference that causes complications. It causes challenge inevitably. And cycling is like the sort of cream of the crop in terms of that, because it's an ind- it's a repetitive endurance sport, but 
it's almost exclusively sagittal plane. Yeah. It tends to disconnect upper body from lower body, right? The amount of rotation or spiraling or, or, um, yeah, spiral patterns are involved are, I mean, I, I, I would love to hear all your thoughts on this, but I, I personally believe the, the body really mostly moves in spirals and cycling tends to try to undo that. So it, it cuts us in half, right? It takes away our spirals. It tries to take away our spirals and it's concentric only. Like there's no eccentric load in cycling. Mm -hmm. So you just sort of continually work the muscles, but only in kind of one dimension. And, and then on top of that, uh, the range of motion is very limited. So yeah. we get pretty hardcore adaptive muscles, uh, shortening, you know, you get, you're stuck in hip flexion all the time. So there's all these challenges. So for me, animal flow is a great way to, to expand on all that library and, and just bring in new tools into the toolbox. Right. Um, totally. yeah. So uh, that was a lot of talking. What do you think about all that stuff? Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you sharing that, you know, had the pleasure of, uh, checking out your website and, you know, we were talking before we hit record, uh, about technology. And my plan was to at least get one listen in before this, but, uh, technology, yep. uh, with some videos I was making and had some, some other plans, but, um, yeah, I had an opportunity to really look through the, the titles of your episodes as well and got a good idea of, of, um, just through that, um, a very, brief idea of how your brain works and, mm -hmm. and what you want to prioritize and, and what's important to you. So, um, off of that, based on what you said, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, there's, there's so many things that we can find that really light us up. Um, in your case being cycling. And I was really curious, um, about how you, how you found, my work and then also um how you use it right or or how it provides benefit and you you uh you summed it up perfectly right there um having something that you're continuously showing up for that lights you up in so many ways whether it be connection with your body connection with nature connection with rhythm i'm super down to talk rhythm today um connection with community uh, all that stuff is you know such a, an integral part of life and um we can get stuck especially if those things keep us in these fixated patterns and so um you know the body does move in spirals and and um we meant we mentioned or we talked about tai chi just briefly a second ago and one of the things that i really noticed um in my own journey was recognizing the ability to tap into those spirals, um, internally rather than superficially. Um, and so the, the internal experience of spiral or rotation through the body and, and to take something from that podcast that you, uh, listened to with Jordan, that, uh, that Tai Chi, um, concept proverb whatever you want to call it uh one part moves all parts move mm -hmm. uh really resonates even if that movement is is very minuscule um and i imagine on a bike you can tap into some of that but especially if you're um hooked into the bike um that makes it a little bit more difficult to to tap into some let's say superficial spiral or rotational movement but maybe you're still able to access 
that internal sensation of it. And so going into something like primal movement, like animal flow, any sort of rotational movement training is, um, it's going to provide the necessary movement to fill in all those gaps that you're missing out on. And I imagine that, um, you know, me not being, a a cyclist myself, of course, I've ridden a bike, I can ride a bike, but, Mm -hmm. but me not being a cyclist and showing up for that consistently and really understanding the nuance of it. Um, I imagine that there is some application there too. Uh, so, you know, that those are two things we could branch off into, uh, filling in those gaps that you may not be getting if you're training, uh, an endurance sport or, a um, uh, a dominant, uh, sagittal plane sport or activity. Mm-hmm. Um, but also how, when we start to tap into the natural movement patterns of the body, um, that does have application regardless of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, I sort of, I look at conditioning, like we, we consider cycling. Well, first of all, I'll just say that in the world of cycling, there's, there's still a really old school belief system that it's, uh, it's really old school that it's bad to do anything other than ride your bike. Like there's a really hardcore old school European model, which is when you're not riding your bike, you should be, if you're not riding your bike, you should be, um, you can be standing, but if you're standing, you should be sitting. And if you're sitting, you should be lying down. Like basically Mm. the the model is like, just ride your bike and then eat and sleep. (laughs) And (laughs) it's a, it's a very, um, obviously very myopic view. And, and now things have started to progress, but cycling is such an old sport. There's a lot of really shockingly, um, gothic or archaic beliefs about movement. Um, there's not a lot of consideration for posture, especially in the world of bike fitting, which is really about relating the athlete, the athlete's physiology to how they interrelate with the bike and making adjustments on the bike to help the athlete perform. But at the same time, seeing the dysfunction of the athlete and for me, bike fitting is about educating the athlete on their movement patterns and then optimizing them so that they can perform better on the bike. So that's these two, this blend, um, not every bike fitter sees it that way. A lot of fitters have an idea that you just fit the rider. You, you, you basically adjust the bike to fit the rider and that I don't like that much, uh, <laughs> because I have yet to see a symmetrical or perfectly functional human walk through my door. So I don't know why <laughs> I foster that dysfunction, especially in a repetitive endurance sport, but uh, that's just my take, you know, full disclaimer, not all, not all fitters will fitters will agree, but I, I sort of look at the landscape of, okay, let's assume that we think that strength and conditioning or some off the bike conditioning program is a good idea. There's two basic paths you could go on. One would be to strengthen the movement patterns that you have in cycling. So, okay, what's cycling fundamentally? If we look at Paul checks, primal movement patterns, he breaks all movement down into six patterns, right? Uh, a squat, a hip hinge or deadlift, a lunge, those are the three lower body and the upper body are a push, pull, or a twist. So cycling really consists of a hip hinge. It's a static hip hinge and then a series of lunges. And then there's a little bit of pulling on the bars, a little bit of pushing and a little bit of, of twisting, right? And there's no squatting because all cycling is unilateral. So if I were to build a strength and conditioning program that, um, enhanced the movement patterns of cycling or tried to strengthen them, I would probably mostly make it comprised of deadlifts and, or, or bent over rows to pull on the bars or split stance bent over rows or split stance deadlifts and lunges that 
be a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And those are, those are, those are useful exercises. Um, Paul would say, there's no such thing as a good exercise or a bad exercise. There's just simply a properly prescribed exercise or an improperly prescribed exercise. And, and so, okay, that would be one vein is to strengthen that athlete. But I've heard from some of your videos and, and I think you also mentioned this in your interview with Jordan, that when you were younger, you, you began to lift a lot of weight and you put on muscle really quickly and you got really strong and you sort of, uh, I'm, I'm probably paraphrasing a bit, but you basically said you sort of did that irresponsibly because you put on weight very quickly, a lot of muscle without necessarily the right movement patterns or the right skills to handle that strength. And the analogy I used to describe that is, is like, we took a, a really old, uh, crappy car, not that you were a crappy old car at the time you were a young car, but if we took a, a, you know, a 1974 Corolla and we dumped a 500 horsepower engine into it, but didn't upgrade the chassis or the suspension or the wheels or the brakes, you'd have this mess of a car, right? It would be unbelievably fast. But then as soon as you tried to turn or stop or, or do anything with that power, you'd be in trouble. You'd probably drive off the road. And, and so another way to say that is you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. And, and so when we add strength to a dysfunctional system, we, we can cause problems. And because cycling inherently causes dysfunctional athletes to be it, it propagates dysfunctional movement patterns. I'll say that. And this is, I'm, I'm like stabbing a sacred cow right in the face when I say this, like, <laughs> you know, most people in cycling are like, cycling is the best sport ever. You know, everybody's tribalistic about their things, right? Um, everyone ex- except me, I think, um, <laughs> I don't really try to convince people to do what I do. I, ju- I just do what I do. And if they want to come do it with me, awesome. But it's not like, Hey man, have you seen this movie? You got to see this movie. I'm like, it's more like, I watched this movie and I really liked it. I thought the new Dune was awesome. I'm I'm a little bit Tourette'sy with it. Like if it's on, I kind of have to watch it. <laughs> that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you you should watch it. You might think it sucks. Okay. So, sorry, four levels of weeds. But the other the other side of of off the bike or strength and conditioning or or a conditioning program that would offset whatever your repetitive sport is if you have one would be to complement or offset those patterns to to durabilize you, to make you harder to kill, to make you more bulletproof. And this is what I feel for me, um, primal movement and animal flow really dial in because they, what I love about it in particular is I feel like it's always been this, um, I never identify with gym culture because I feel like it's such an isolated concept. And, and if we think about cultural ideals of movement, what do we do? If we go to the gym, uh, sorry, if we want to be strong, we go to the gym. And if we want to be flexible, we go do yoga. Why are these things not coupled? Mm-hmm. Why are they not together? I don't want to just be, I don't want to be strong at a leg press. This is a useless thing for me. I don't want to be strong at bench press. I want to be functionally strong. I want to be farm strong. I want to be able to lift a car off a kid in a parking lot with sand and ice on the ground to make up a weird example. I want to be able <laughs> to lift my cooler with a lot of unstable moving liquids into the back of my trunk of my Subaru without falling on my face or breaking my ankle. I want to be able to run over uneven terrain and have a responsive integral movement pattern or a a movement pattern with integrity and with complementary. Yeah, I'll stop there. I don't know. I'm making up some stuff, but I, I want to be able to run over rocks and logs and do cool stuff interact with my environment without falling on my face or twisting an ankle or 
spraining an ankle, right? So again, a lot of words. What do you think? Yeah, man. I mean, lot to unpack there. I mean, to circle back to my experience at, you know, when I got to college after not playing sports, you know, I, I did what I knew when I got to college, um, which was a lot of sagittal plane movements. Uh, my goals were, I, at that point in time, I would tell you that I wanted to be like an athlete, but really it was all about packing on muscle and looking a certain way. I had passed that chapter of my life of, of being, a an athlete, I decided not to pursue college athletics. I could have pursued the JC, uh, JC route with baseball, but I recognized that, um, of course, hindsight here, I was getting a lot of the functional movements, even though I wasn't necessarily training to support that in a responsible way through baseball and through football there, I was getting the sagittal frontal and, um, and then, wow, I'm blanking on the transverse, transverse. Plane, like, the yep. rotational movement, right? So yep. my specialty. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was getting a bunch of that in there. And so I certainly had um, issues with my body. Uh, but through that, going into the gym and training for, you know, the classic strength that you see in so many weight rooms uh, in, in high school and college and and I know things are shifting, um, but there's still a, a bunch of outdated uh, training protocols and and uh, a lot of dogma when it comes to that. So, mm. uh, but yeah, I wasn't getting that variety. And so when I did make that shift to largely lifting weights in a sagittal plane, um, there were some serious holes in there, even more so than um, there was in the past because I was playing athletics. Uh, I was participating in sports that were very dynamic and got me moving in a bunch of different ways. And I think one of the big aspects of it too is, is what you're talking about with just being more of a responsive and reflexive human, um, a body that is strong and capable of traversing and interacting with any particular environment. And mm -hmm. that to me is, is true athleticism and, and sure, depending on who you talk to with definitions of strength, um, it's all contextual, right? So, um, yeah, I think getting in, getting underneath a bar and squatting a bunch of weight or doing a, a, a barbell bench press, like that's a, an expression of strength, but so is the stuff that we do on the ground. And, um, what I found with that was just an ultimate, way to connect with my center and through that develop strength. And, and so, um, the center is the big key. I mean, I think when you see a lot of this rotational movement, there's so much superficial stuff that you see, but if we can get into the midline of the body, uh, I really love to look at the three Dantians of Tai Chi and then looking at how the fascial lines through the structure, the bone structure, really weave together in this spiral fashion, but all of it still really channels through the center of the body. And, um, this was really what, what drew me to it. I was able to develop uh, a strong core, a capable core, a functional core, mm -hmm. um, 
and then start to apply that strength through my extremities, through my hands, through my feet. And the reason I love to train primal movements and have that as my base, and sure, I hit unilateral exercises through different forms of calisthenics and I've got some heavy sandbags back there to stimulate the nervous system and really ground into, yeah, a lot of sagittal plane exercises, but to fill in all those gaps and then also support those, that, that midline strength, um, it all comes back to connecting with the center through these movements. And Mm. it's a very effective and efficient way of doing that. Um, to be able to train strength, mobility, rhythm, athleticism, uh, problem solving is another thing we could go into here. I mean, that's what our brain is for. And our brain's very first function is, is to move, right. There is to, to build the capacity to move. And so movement problems in that case, um, are going to be insanely beneficial for your body and insanely beneficial for your brain. And if we can get in the pattern of not just doing an exercise the right way, but starting to be able to develop this web of connection where we can solve problems, that Mm. is really what is appealing to me. So when you're out trail running on a bike, I'm sure there's problems you're solving, right? But like Mm. you said, it's, it's, it's a very consistent rhythm there. Same thing with trail running, but what happens when you hit an uneven surface and you take a suboptimal step? Mm-hmm. is your body going to break with that suboptimal step? Somebody that's riding a bike all day that doesn't train any sort of variety, um, when they do find themselves in a suboptimal position or in a position that they haven't found themselves in, that's when bad things happen. And so mm-hmm. it's not like we're putting ourselves in the most precarious positions and situations, but we are developing that variability. So when we do get in situations where a problem needs to be solved, one, our body doesn't break down. And two, we don't have to think about solving the problem. We've built this connection between the body and the brain, and we're simply able to respond to the situation reflexively. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the value of putting your body in, in situations or like under fire, uh, testing it out. I think primal movement's a great way to do that. It's also a great way to uh, prepare for that. So uh, in the past like six months, I've been playing a lot of basketball and just going out there and, you know, shadow basketball (laughs) by myself. Um, And I I was wondering like, how does this apply to when I actually get into like a one-on-one or a two-on-two with somebody? Mm. And um, it's been really interesting when I have been in those situations one, I noticed the translation uh, of what I've been working on. So uh, patterning that stuff certainly helps. But putting myself in that situation where failure is is uh, is bound to happen, um, and the variables are constantly moving, I've ended up doing things I've never done before, and that's what's really exciting. That shows me that I. I'm building a body and a brain that allows me to be incredibly dynamic in whatever I'm doing. And that is what lights me up every single day. Why I love to share this stuff because it, um, that's what I want that 
I, I want to continue to build on this base that I've developed over the past 10 years after coming out of chronic injury and pain mm. um, to see what's possible with my body, see what's possible with skills. And, and of course, through that, be able to connect, um, you know, getting into more um, communal forms of, of sport. I mean, I do a lot of individual stuff, but now it's, taking it into more of that interaction and, and, uh, you know, there's plenty of different w- areas I could take it. It's just really what's, what's lighting me up at the particular time. I still continue to focus on that base, focus on what I'm talking about here in, in, in building a, a, uh, a very dynamic body, uh, responsive and reflexive body. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's where it's at for me. I mean, I, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I I've developed at least the foundation to be able to build anything I want to build mm. through primal movement. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I like that idea of solving problems and, um, to reverse for a moment, I want to ask you, you talked about the concept of the three Dantian and center. In your practice or in your experience, I'll say, what what does center mean to you? What what significance does that have? Why are we focused on center? Hmm. Broad question. Yeah, no, it's good. Let's see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um, for the longest time I felt really off of my center, and there's still uh, remnants of that. Um, I think there's this idea, well, there's this idea of, of balance um, and symmetry that um, a lot of people chase, including myself, when it comes to biomechanics, when it comes to physique. Um, but ultimately, a lot of human movement is, it's balanced, it's harmonious, but it is asymmetrical, right? One side of our body is doing something that's different than the other side of the body, usually uh, some sort of reverse movement of that. And so if we can look at the center and how everything sort of moves through that orients around or through that, that's going to give us the anchor point where we can feel really grounded and connected. And, um, ultimately what it leads to is in honor uh, uh, in honoring of the structure and within that structure the ability for energy to flow throughout the body so mm-hmm. when i look at let's say center or midline i can look at that from an energetic perspective and that's where a lot of the um dantians or energetic anatomy comes from there i can mm-hmm. also look at actual anatomy and the bone structure and the muscles and the fascial tissue um, and how all of that feeds through the center. So uh, the other aspect of looking at it is a lot to do with the spine and then also the the pathway. We're getting real weird in here, uh, but I'm talking to a checkie, so we're good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're good. Uh, mouth to anus connection so that's going to be the the whole pathway through your organs and and how we're able to 
essentially support that. And a lot of that's going to be through pressure and um, more of this oscillation through the center as opposed to a lot of gripping and bracing. Mm. Uh, and there's, of course, there's in, in the, in the realm of solving problems, like the bracing strategies are, are totally valid too. Right. But simply just relaxing and, and sinking into your center, feeling heavy into the ground, connecting through the ground so I can root down mm. and feel my center. And then through that center, start to ascend through my body, start to actually decompress Mm -hmm. by leveraging through the ground um, and being able to pressurize that cavity, pressurize the torso. So now our organs can chill. Our organs aren't clinging on in certain areas, right? And they, they can relax and they can do their thing. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be great for, uh, this is super important from a, um, a, a physiological perspective, but from a nervous, nervous system perspective, organ function perspective, super important, right? To be able to ground into our center and be able to be in good relationship with gravity, be able to chill, be able to relax into our center. Um, and then from more of an efficiency standpoint too, um, if our organs are overworking or bracing or there's tension there, there's stress and inflammation, they're working overtime there. And then our physical bot like our, our our muscular structure and, and the ability to support everything there too has to to work overtime too because it's probably holding on to unnecessary tension so to distill it down um with the center it actually allows you to relax and tap into necessary tensions through the body as opposed to um i mentioned it earlier a lot of superficial tensioning or a lot of extra movement or extra tension, um, rather than like simply allowing the body to do what it does. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the, the three Dantians of Tai Chi, we have that main energy sphere that sits in our pelvis. And then we come up through the heart center and we have another sphere there. And that's going to be a lot of that thoracic movement. Mm -hmm. then we have our neck, head, eyes, all that. Um, I call it the snowman of movement uh, and how we're able to stack through that. And really those three spheres are interacting with each other to hold center. And if we can feel those areas, a lot of that frees up maybe some tension through the spine, maybe some tension through muscle tissues as well. Sometimes when I'm practicing more of uh, like a three Dantian meditation with some different um, Qigong or Tai Chi foundations. Um, I I'm, I'm actually able to completely detach from the spine, if that makes sense. So I'm honoring it. There's still structure there, but mm -hmm. I'm not feeling the restrictions that I have through the spine. Like I'm able to move in, in, more of this spherical fashion, as opposed to when mm. we see the spine, we're largely going to see a lot of like flexion. Of course, it's going to move in all directions, but this allowed me at least initially and allows me to tap into that freedom of movement while honoring the structure. Um, and the other thing I love to look at the three Dantians of Tai Chi with is, is the chakra system. And, and so we, we could go super deep into this, but really that 
the first three energy centers, the first three chakras are going to make up that lower Dantian. And mm-hmm. then we have the heart center, the bridge, which is going to make up that middle Dantian. Mm-hmm. And then we have the top three chakras uh, to, to really bring in that uh, upper Dantian. And, um, and with this, we can link a lot of stuff to movement. So if we just start with the upper Dantian, um, okay, we could, we could go into the eyes a bunch. We could go into the mouth and, and the tongue position and, and the relation there of creating suction and, 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 and being able to connect the head down into the torso. And, and, and through that, you could go into some other aspects of the chakras as well um, to free up those areas. But simply from a movement perspective, there's a ton that can be done when looking at that snowman of movement. And so happy to dive into any of those specifics. I know you're, you're familiar uh, Mm -hmm. with your education and, and, and whatnot. And, and um, yeah, I'm curious to hear from you what, what stands out with uh, those Mm -hmm. ramblings. (laughs) Great stuff. Um, yeah. So thinking about rooting down and connecting with the earth, right? As you're, you kind of began with sort of that, that base chakra, uh, root and rooting down my teacher, one of my, my Qigong teachers, Steven would refer to that as the zero cauldron, which is mm. connection with the earth. Right. And he yeah. imagines it as a glass sphere that extends into the earth. The diameter is about six to 12 feet, depending on you and what you feel and how, how grounded you are in that. And he often has us connect with that, that, uh, beginning into a meditation Mm -hmm. to sort of ground and establish that connection with the earth to be rooted. And I think, you know, a lot of clients come through my door when I do a bike fitting session and they're just, there's so much left brain activity right now. There's so much um, spreadsheet to do list, smash the things, accomplish, go, go, go young energy. There's so much, um, mental rumination. There's a lot of that in our culture and our society right now. So I feel like for me, that grounding practice is it's super important for me personally, but it's also important for me to walk through the world, having a regular touch point of this practice of centering and, uh, centering being, present in those three Dantian and, and within the chakras and the microcosmic orbit, that type of breathing, but also being grounded with the earth so that it's almost like you're a tree with big, a big root system, you know, and then no matter what kind of windstorm comes, no matter what hail hits you, no matter how much sunshine there is or how much cold there is, you can just be there. And that's a powerful tool to have in a world where we have so many people that are so, uh, consumed by cultural ideas or they're lost. I mean, the reality is you and I can pick up our pocket supercomputers and learn more in 24 hours than someone could in their whole life in 1899, you know? And when I say learn, I mean, be exposed to. (laughs) That doesn't mean you actually absorb it or understand it, but it's information. You know, the amount of information we have access to is just insane. And then there, that of course presents this conundrum of, uh, divergence of expertise. There's a tension there because you can find absolutely qualified experts in any field, 
who vehemently disagree about any topic, no matter how much of a golden crown that cow is wearing. You can find someone on either side of any topic, no matter how big it is. And the, there'll be people on either side who are ready to slit each other's throats, dogmatically defending their, their mountain. And that's disconcerting uh, for a person who's trying to make their way through the world and make decisions about how to live their lives. So for me, that connects to the concept of center more, more um, mentally and conceptually, but this is, this may seem like it's super out in the weeds, but to tie together how my line of thought is working, we, I think a lot of people assume you touched on this in the pod with Jordan, I believe a lot of people assume the order of operations is that we move and that causes dysfunction, right? But I would offer that the order is actually reversed in the sense that we are living creatures. We're, we're biological organisms who have life force. We have drive, we have electrical energy. We've been ignited and brought to life. And that, that electrical energy is polarized by definition and it gives us intent. It gives us will, right? Do the things, meet the girl, have the kids, you know, do whatever, um, accomplish the thing, climb the mountain or throw the football or play with the hacky sack or whatever your, your thing is at the moment. And, um, that will causes the dance of life because then all the people are bumping into each other with their, their wills and their drives. And then we have experiences, we have culture, we have individuation from our parents. It creates our belief systems about the world. You know, humans are some of the, the, I think we're probably the slowest creatures to individuate from our, our parents. Like deer has got to stand in 24 hours or whatever. Right. Otherwise it's a coyote snack or a hyena snack or something. And so we, we walk, we're, we're in this curious position of engaging with reality, but at the same time being spoon fed all these things, all these ideas that go into our brains. So it's not until we hit the development of our first chakra around maybe age seven or eight, where we even begin to start to individuate. We've already got seven years of basically brainwashing of our parents telling us, you know, how to live and, and living by example or leading by example. And so then we spend a lot of the rest of our lives re-examining those belief systems, discovering those sub-programs and going, wait, do I really believe in whatever Jesus, Buddha, Allah, I don't know, you know, <laughs> or do I really like pizza? I don't know. I'm going to know. <laughs> I need to rediscover this fact. For me, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's got to be good pizza, but anyway. So we have intent and intent is what manifests our movement practice. That's the really long way of what I'm trying to, the, the scenic view of what I'm trying to say. So when we have will and drive and soul that expresses our physicality, everything from our bone structure to our eye color, to our hair growth, to our posture, to the way we throw a punch or kick a ball or, um, point at a painting, everything we do, the unnecessary movements that we might make, as you spoke about, or the, the trimmed efficient movements, the way we way aspect of walking through the world. Those are all a product of our psyche, our, our sum total of our emotional experiences brought into the physical world. Well, more than our emotional experiences, but our energetic experiences brought into the world. And that results in movement patterns. And mm -hmm. 
this is why we can have some people who can ride a bike seemingly millions of kilometers, you know, hundred, you know, this and that and do all the things and they're relatively injury free. And then we have other people who are on the verge of total collapse. And I, this, you can find this example in every other sport, I'm sure too. There's some athletes who just whatever shoot hoops for years of their lives and have almost no problems seemingly. And then there are other athletes who are like trying to express this dream and this goal and they're hooked into this sport and they're just relentlessly getting their ass kicked by tendonitis or surgery or all the things. So I guess what I'm saying is when we finding center is about, to some degree for me, it's about examining those programs, those belief systems and unpacking them, distilling them, rototilling them, critically examining them. And then of course, as soon as you're conscious of them, you can make a choice like, well, now I've been eating pizza for 25 years of my life. Is that a healthy thing for me to eat or not? (laughs) Do I like joint inflammation and diarrhea or (laughs) do I want to move beyond that? I don't, you know, and your, your results may, individual results may vary. So, uh, but I love the way you look at, at that concept of center specifically within movement. I think I'll say just hearing you talk about that sort of made me realize that I have somewhat segregated those. I mean, I think about center when I'm moving at times, mostly I'm thinking about the lower Dantian and I'm thinking about being anchored and present. And as a bike fitter, that's my bias because most often what I see when clients come through my door and they have problems is I see uh, a spiral pattern that's out of whack. Mm-hmm. It's grown too big and it's causing challenge. It's causing, which is usually pain, but not always. Sometimes it's just sort of a vague sensation of like, how do you feel twisted on the bike? And one leg feels like it's smooth and the other one's sort of jabbing at the pedals. And, and it's almost always what I term a right-sided bio spiral, which would from the top would be a counterclockwise spiral. This is the common, which is backwards incidentally from the PRI perspective, which is that we stand. So I don't know if that's because we have a fulcrum between our legs. I haven't dug deep enough into PRI to fully understand it. I just sort of get their basic pattern analogy. And so I'm still trying to put all those pieces together. And and I love like your world and art of move. And I love these guys that are bringing in all these people that have gone on this four or five year moving journey. And they're like, and then I did flowability. And then I did this. And then I did that. And I love these conversations. Like I've just been consuming all these, um, like a, a whale to the plankton as best I can to try to see all these people's experiences and, and learn it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, well, I really appreciate you sharing, um, your perspective of, of center and, you know, ultimately it's, it's a, if we can blend that, um, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual aspect all into one, that's that's really um where i find a ton of value in terms of physically being able to do the work through movement but at the same time me being a movement head i mean there's an obsession there and there's a fixation sometimes and so um this is where when looking at something like center from all these different angles can be really beneficial because like you said, your belief structure is going to physically manifest. Right. And so, you know, when you were talking through, uh, what being grounded or centered in your life means to you or, or, or how you cultivate that, um, especially with everything that's thrown at us. And I think, 
you know, you talking about the movement journey and the the realm we live in, where not only do we have tons and tons of information and different systems, but we also have like all these different opinions. And if we're ungrounded with our center, and we'll say that in a multi-dimensional way, right? All that information, you mentioned people being at, you know, polar opposites of each other on a particular spectrum, right? All that information uh, swings us from one end to the other perspective if we're ungrounded. And all those different opinions, uh, and rather than, um, let's say you were to share something that like, questioned my beliefs around movement or, or you, you provided a, a different perspective. If I was ungrounded in, in my beliefs in that particular area, I might be swung in one particular direction. So I mm. think in, in the center, it's not this perfect balance. It's, it's this harmonious dance between, you know, yin and yang on this, on this spectrum, like everything is moving, nothing is neutral in that sense. Mm. But if I'm able to be in my center, those shifts are small, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm a lot more grounded. I'm able to look at things more pragmatically or, or see how they relate to me uh, versus like throwing out my beliefs and being like, well, actually now this system is way better. Mm-hmm. And I've experienced a ton of that, especially over the last four or five years with uh, seeing a ton of value in all these systems. But then with the marketing and with the opinions mm. and yeah. get these little wars going and, yeah. and you start to swing the, 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 the pendulum swings a lot wider as opposed to really getting into your center. And so even just a practice of, of meditation or visualizing your body uh, or moving through it in these ways that allow to allow you to cultivate a better sense of center. I certainly believe that that leads to more of that um, centeredness, centeredness when it comes to being triggered or, or somebody providing a different perspective and being mm-hmm. able to respond in a, a healthy and productive and collaborative method, uh, manner rather than something that is, um, aggressive and, and, uh, tearing down somebody and, and whatnot. And so that's, that's another component of it that I think is, is really beneficial, um, especially when it comes to just like standing postures and visualizing the somatic experience of the body. And, Mm. and uh, I mean, that's really what we're talking about here uh, is the somatics of the body and, and Mm -hmm. that, that whole sort of physical representation of everything that we experienced in our lives, we're experiencing currently and will continue to experience. And, and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, a beautiful web and, mm-hmm. uh, people come at it from different directions. I've, I've talked to a few people about this. Of course, everybody has their own journey, but specifically in personal development, I, I notice, uh, there's a, a few, uh, two specific angles that a lot of people come from. And, um, so one is going to be more of that fitness space mm-hmm. and they notice that they're able to make improvements um, with their physical body. And that leads into personal development and personal growth and starts to get into these other areas of training the brain, getting in touch with the emotions and the somatic experience and how that relates. And then also drifting into more of the spiritual realm and really 
you know, making meaning of what it, what it is to be on this planet and, and having this human experience um, and interacting with that spiritual realm. The other side is the spiritual, right? And you know, you, someone starts and goes super hard into the spiritual space. And I've had a lot of clients over the years that come to me and say, I've done all this spiritual work. I'm super dialed in spiritually, but my physical body, I need to start focusing on that now. Mm. And to me, it's all, it's all one, you know, Mm. it, it, like I said, it's a multidimensional experience that we're having here. And so, um, those are wherever somebody starts, like what I'm getting at here is it's, it's going to feed into something that is this integrated, um, integration of your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual bodies. And what that means in having this experience on this planet right now. And so, um, it's really good to have this conversation for me. I'm, I'm working through some stuff personally right now in terms of, um, just drifting more and more back into certain fixations of specifically around movement and, you know, uh, continue to provide, uh, some different perspective on this podcast. If I drift so hard into the movement and go like super heady into it, because it's just one piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Paul talks a lot about that. Um, those polarities and that perspective of, cause he does so many interviews with different people and he's so, he's like a ridiculous human encyclopedia of how many books he's read and how many, even how many people he's interviewed. And he'll talk about the kind of what you're saying, the, the co the, the joining together of the physical and the spiritual emotional, uh, bodies. And there has to be some cohesion there. And when there's not, when we've got someone who claims to be super spiritually evolved or, or whatever, and I don't, I don't mean claim in a pejorative sense. Um, that's their story. That's their statement. Okay. I take it at face value. And I would agree with you that if there's a lot of physical challenge there, then there's something that's not quite in alignment. And this is one of the reasons I was so drawn to Paul's teachings and, and Paul's not for everybody. I mean, he's a polarizing person, right? And he's got a lot of, uh, crazy things that come out of his mouth and he lives a lifestyle that not everyone can identify with. So, you know, whatever, for me, I look past the package and look at the lessons of the teacher. That's what I try to do. Although mm-hmm. in like Naudi's case, that's really hard to do because he's so combative and so angry. <laughs> like, dude, um, like you got a lot of, you got a lot of, of beauty and, and education to give the world, like try not to wrap it in such a pile of shit. But anyway, uh, just my two cents, but, but Paul talks about this idea that if you, you know, you do have someone who's very done a lot of spiritual work. Maybe they've done a lot of plant medicine work or spiritual journeys or meditate, you know, they've been meditating for years or whatever, or lived in a cave and, you know, communed with the owls. I don't know, but they do that. And then they come down the mountain and they've got, you know, back pain and knee pain and, and their digestion is crap. And, and, uh, they've got, you know, bags under their eyes and, you know, obviously are malnourished. It's like, well, there's a disconnect there because those things are all related. They're all as above, so below is another kind of spiritual, hopefully not platitude that we could apply to that equation, but I think it it's um, fitting here. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and I couldn't help to think of Naudi when you're talking about the controversy and that he's obviously our poster child for that stuff, but there's a lot of disagreements, and a lot of infighting that happens between, 
I mean, Paul almost got in a fight with Stu McGill on stage years ago, apparently at some conference the first time they met. I mean, this is how it goes. Um, Paul's a lot more relaxed now, I think. And he's got yeah, his opinions. More chill. <laughs> <laughs> some of those older videos though, man, right? he's just full of energy. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. 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 He, he, he's an interesting dude. I mean, talking about, you know, physical and spiritual development, like he was in the perfect cauldron to be the person he is because his stepdad used to beat the crap out of him and his whole family. So, you know, anytime you have that happen, like a lot of men will respond by doing exactly what Paul did, which is you get strong as hell and you learn how to fight so that you can defend yourself. A uh, pretty natural response. I didn't grow up in that type of household at all. It was sort of the opposite. Um, the, the more do like left to my own devices as a kid, a little more loneliness, less attention. Mm -hmm. So not a big surprise. I found cycling. It's a sport where you have to be by yourself for hours and endure. Right. Um, but then Paul's, Paul, that was Paul's stepdad. His mom was a yogi. So he had this like weird, I mean, it's just the perfect cauldron. Plus he's just a super freak. Like he's insanely smart, hates authority with a passion. So he just like dumped school and went and started reading books on his own. And anyway, but he also really, one of the reasons I was drawn to his teachings is because he's a big believer that um, in order to be one of his students, especially at a high level, you have to be authentic in the sense that you have to practice what you preach or you have to say master what you teach. Maybe not master, but you have to um, you can't look someone in the eye authentically and tell them that they need to drink less. If you're putting back, you know, a couple 12 backs every weekend and a glass of a glass of wine or two or a bottle of wine or two every night, like that doesn't fly at all in his system. And I have immense respect for that perspective. And I think that to go on a slight tangent, I think as people, uh, who are coaches, people who, who feel their calling is to really bring, uh, lessons or wisdom, hopefully, or, or maybe a level of understanding and knowledge to the world, our task, you might even say our onus, but I don't, onus has a negative connotation to it, but our task is to really be exemplary humans as best we can. Well, of course, with the understanding that we're human and we're all fallible and we all screw up and make mistakes. That's not, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm saying that you're on the path that being a teacher, being an educator, being someone who wants to help other people, you have to concurrently have the mission, I think, to make yourself the best possible you and to bring that to yourself first. And in Paul's system, that would be the order of priorities is I, we all, mm -hmm. which is simply you apply your own oxygen mask first. And if you put the we, your friends and family above your own needs, then you will not be the best brother, son, father, boyfriend, husband to all those people in your life, friend. Uh, same applies to women, of course, just in, in inverse. And, and if you're not looking after yourself, also, you can't teach the all effectively. They will see through your bullshit. They will see when you ask them like, hey, man, you know, I want to talk to you about your weight. You got that spare tire going there. And then they look at you and you're carrying an extra 40 pounds and like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, um, <clears throat> you know, I think the example is I look at mastery from a perspective of more of a mindset or a mentality. Um, because especially today, maybe this doesn't apply in the past, uh, when a lot of people had, you know, just the way 
society or uh, communities or culture was structured, a lot of the pillars of health were at least in place somewhat. Now we have a much different problem on our hands. And there are a ton of people that are out of touch with those pillars of health. And uh, with that understanding, we need good examples. And it shouldn't take somebody 30 years of studying under somebody or 10 years or 15 years to study under somebody to then be able to go out and share what they've learned, what they've integrated through example, and then through that example, be able to give people some tangible structure to then support themselves in achieving those things. And so today, more than ever, if we can approach things from that mentality of mastery with the acceptance of ourselves and our flaws and our limitations and, Mm -hmm. and, and all that, um, that I think is the example that we all need. Uh, it's, it's not about being that, that perfect human. What is perfect? What is optimal? Uh, if we're always chasing optimal, like, like for instance, like if this is optimal, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Suboptimal could be here. It could be right here, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, something that really stood out to me, um, my buddy, Will Burnett, he's, uh, he's an Aussie. Um, he's done some incredible stuff. Uh, more recently with, uh, he ran across Australia and raised a bunch of money for veterans. And he's just a a really interesting guy. I went through a a breathwork certification with him. Um, let's see where I was, I was going with this. Um, he, he told me cause he noticed, he noticed, he's like, dude, you're obsessed with optimal. Mm. You're obsessed with optimal. Like, and this goes into, you know, total human optimization or, performance optimization. What is, what does that mean? Um, but he just was, he just said it really straight to me. He was like, better is better. Mm. And I was like, dude, I, that's what I really needed to hear at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've got it all figured out, but I certainly have been in a certain spot several times in my life where I've been incredibly depressed in pain, a lot of dysfunction, um, sickness, uh, sickness of the mind, sickness of the body. And well, through getting support from mentors and teachers and coaches and reading and integrating things that resonated with me, I've been able to get better and continue to improve upon that. And so, you know, this, this, uh, this is something I see a ton as well in the fitness industry. There's a lot of gatekeeping going on from like more of the big fitness. Um, we witnessed a a little bit of that with, uh, the smooth channel recently where I had to take down some stuff. So, um, and that was a really challenging thing for me because it goes against, um, my vision for movement and personal development. And and that is that nobody owns this stuff. Mm. You know, everything at this point is repackaged and meshed and combined. And that's what makes it all so beautiful. It's like us as guides today, we get to synthesize all this ancient wisdom and, and everybody, the giants that we get to stand on mm-hmm. and, 
synthesize this stuff to have it resonate with this particular time mm-hmm. and to hinder or deter somebody from sharing in that particular manner, especially, you know, I'm not going to say people, people, people call me a snake oil salesman and they, you know, they tell me I'm, I'm a culture vulture and like all this shit on YouTube. Mm. And that's mm. just like part of it. Right. Um, mm. And another aspect of, of uh, putting yourself out there, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and with that, I've really had to stay grounded in my center. So I think mm. don't get swung by that. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know, it comes down to this, like none of this stuff is new. It's all repackaged. If we were to take something like animal flow, um, for instance, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, amazing program. I am so grateful for that program. It's so simple mm-hmm. and it's really tangible. Exactly what I'm talking about. Taking something that's a lot more complex and bringing it into something that uh, somebody can get their hands on and start to improve and, and get better mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Uh, the example there is, I had a comment on YouTube. People were like, why don't you just do capoeira? Like, mm. well, if I were to look at capoeira, it's insanely beneficial. I've trained in capoeira. Mm-hmm. It's also, there's a ton of barriers there for a lot of people. So if somebody just wants to move, and get into their body and get stronger and they see somebody moving in a particular way and they're like i want to move like that it yep. resonates with themselves that resonates with their body then they should be able to just go into that without the potential barriers of yeah i get it adding rhythm adding combat right adding language and playing instruments with movement doing all of that yes I get it. It's a crazy package that's going to help somebody level up in a bunch of different ways. But at the same time, mm-hmm. somebody can turn on one of my videos and they can go in their in their space and they can just get it done with no judgment from anybody else. And yep. they can start to build themselves up in that that way. And maybe they end up being inspired and taking that leap into Capoeira. But mm-hmm. they don't have all these hurdles to jump through or all this sort of fear to face uh, all at once. I get that that can be really beneficial. But mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. we look at things from a perspective of what do people really need? What are the problems that we're solving for right now? And another thing that comes with this is do you want to help people or do you want credit? And I right. know that those two things can exist at the same time. Yes. But there's there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of credit. And I'm not sitting here and saying that mm. I don't have an ego. I mean, I put myself on YouTube like like absolutely. There's some ego in that. And and mm. there's an aspect of me wanting credit. And this is the aspect that I think people need to hear from from teachers is like the. The floss. Right. Because that's relatable. And that lets somebody who's listening to this podcast know that if you're feeling these same ways in your life, you can still get better and you can still continue to get better. And hopefully you're able to, through that, take the shackles off of that, dissolve your ego little by little by little, 
but yeah. that's part of the human experience as well. So, you know, do, do you want to help people? Do, understanding the problems here, or is your problem that you're not getting credit for it? Right, right. Hmm. That's such a great point. Thank you for sharing all that. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a real tension there, right? You nailed it. The tension between asking for credit for something and helping people. That's their kind of polarities to a degree. And, and I agree. I think they can go hand in hand. I would say maybe in some ways thinking about it, I'm a little, um, I'm a little bit blessed because I've said from the beginning in my pod, I'm, I'm not really here to gain an audience. I don't, I'm not here to gain credit, but I'm also in a bit of a unique position perhaps compared to some other people because I've already been racing my bike for 35 years and I made the 2004 Olympic team. So that kind of was my, my five seconds of fame or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. like I already went on that part of the hero's journey. So I don't need to, um, I won't say I don't need to have validation or authority or, or ownership. I mean, great. Oh, there another good concept you brought up. Like what is ownership? Like, mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I'll say you're underselling yourself a little bit. You're not just synthesizing like the act of synthesis is creation, right? So you are learning Capoeira. You're learning from all these other people. You're learning from other systems. And when you take an idea and synthesize it, even if someone else has the same idea halfway around the world or on some other channel or whatever, and they're like, Hey, look at this movement. I can combine this, you know, whatever ape reach with this, I don't know, upside down crab spin or whatever, whatever cool stuff you'd come up with. Like, even if someone else comes up with more or less the same idea, like that act of synthesis is creation. That's, that's the evolving, um, sphere of, of experience and knowledge that we off that we give, that we add to the dance. And that's valuable and that has value for people, but also people learn to trust you grant or you other YouTube person. They see and feel your authenticity. They're drawn to your movements and they, they resonate with your teaching style and they plug into your channel. And then it's like, all right, th this is, this person's my guide for this time. Like that has tremendous value. So, uh, and I, I've experienced that cause I realized that through my own audience, they come to me and they, they tell me the same thing. They're like, look, man, there's a million YouTube channels. There's a million people telling me what to do. But what I've realized is your advice helps me. So I'm going to plug into your channel. And then I have a resonant relationship with those, that, those clients, those people who give me that message. I'm like, all right, yeah, we all get some, some shade, some shade or, or whatever from time to time. Like, cool. That's on them. That's their reactivity. That's their problem. Most of the time. I mean, I'm not saying I don't make mistakes or screw up. Like somebody calls me out. Sure. I'll own it. But most of the time it's just people with their own shit because they are, are upset because you're getting cred for something that they think they want or they're jealous or they're envious or they're who knows? It doesn't really even matter. No. So we just have to remain centered, like you said, and, and do our thing, but contribute in a way that, uh, does maybe it is synthesis. Maybe it is a unique idea. Most of it is, most of it is rinse, cycle, repeat. Not always. A lot of it is, but that has value. That's part of the cultural process. That's part, and people yeah. still need those messages. Um, the other thing that came to me is you were talking about being centered and how when you're centered and someone you see opposing points of view, we, we talk about the pendulum, right? You know, one person, uh, I'll just go straight for the ultimate sacred cow. One person says you should get vaccinated and get 54 <laughs> boosters. And the other person says that 
you're going to be a mind controlled robot and that <laughs> um, this is a way for Bill Gates to run your life and plug you into 5G and turn you into. Uh, oh, I'm forgetting that movie with Samuel Jackson and. Where they. Uh, oh, geez, now I'm totally butchering it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll ignore that <laughs> example, but um, there's some movie about this. So. We, we we have this this pendulum, right? And when we see these two perspectives and maybe we're we're swayed by them and maybe we swing wildly to one side or maybe we swing wildly to the other, right? I would offer that when people aren't truly practicing centered, a centered, they don't have a centered energy. They don't have a practice of centering. It's not always that they're likely to go from one pendulum to the other. They're probably already in one pendulum, but they're not actually grounded and centered in that. They just mm -hmm. took it because they needed a home. And yep. maybe at the right moment, the right person rang their doorbell and said, you should join the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or whatever. And they were like, okay, I don't, I'm really lost. I have no idea what to do with my life and I'm scared. But because this person ended up on my doorstep, I'm all in. But then they see the other side and there's a part of them. There's a part of their soul that knows like, hmm, I should probably at least listen to this. But that scares them because it's not home. It's not familiar. So instead of the, the danger in not being centered is that every time someone challenges your belief systems, you would just attack. Yeah. And that's how we get so much infighting, I think. That's how we get so much um, dogmatic anger. Yeah. I, I suspect. Yeah, that's really, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's awesome to put out there because, you know, I've been in, at those spots in my life and, and, um, coming to some sense of center, the, the, the experience that, that when I feel ungrounded, even though I, I have cultivated a sense of center and a groundedness of who I am over the years, that's what I experience more of the swings. Right. But you're mm -hmm. right. If somebody is like they're, they're grounded in somebody else's beliefs, right. Or some sort of system or, um, ideologies, beliefs, and there's a ton of comfort in that. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot more challenging and, uh, uh, a longer road to find one's true center, but I think one of the things to point out there is that safety that one might be feeling in a particular camp or um, ideology and really going, you know, full blown into those beliefs and, and whatnot and the safety and, and, and the groundedness that they feel there that can be achieved in more of this true getting to know yourself. Um, it is a, a challenging road. Anybody that will, Anybody you talk to that's gone through, you know, a dark night of the soul or hitting rock bottom or whatever, like it is a challenging road to come back to their center. But that really is the catalyst that allows somebody to question all those beliefs and then put those pieces back together in what makes sense at that particular time. And then it's just a, a tinkering, you know, yeah. and you you're interacting with the environment through everyday experience and and through that mm. you you develop a a new center and so i really appreciate you bringing that up because um it's 
there's so much safety that comes when finding your center. And there also is when you just latch on to somebody else's or yep. latch on to some, you know, like I said, ideology. Yeah. Yeah. Belief systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I, I also wanted to share in terms of kind of this infighting or, um, you know, when, when, uh, when it comes down to like you, you brought up Nadi and there's a, a bunch of different examples, uh, not outside of the, the, the movement space as well. Mm-hmm. I, the big shift for me came from, um, the perspective of, uh, just improving my communication of ideas. Um, and through that process, I was able to develop a better understanding of my beliefs. And with that, able to share from a more authentic place and then also from a place of confidence. Um, not to try to convince somebody that they should do this thing. Like you said, and it sounds like you found a really good harmonious relationship with that as well. You're just being yourself. You're just sending it on this podcast and if people listen, people listen, you know? Um, but that really comes from getting clear on your ideas and, and, and being an effective communicator. And there's an interesting line that we walk, I think, in terms of communication and and being relatable or, or being, having these ideas be very accessible. Um, because on one hand, the effort there results in more people gaining access to it, but more on the shadow side of it, it can be more of a coddling or telling people what they want to hear. And, and there can be some, I guess, perpetuation of some of these behaviors or characteristics that are really limiting people and limiting ourselves or limiting our, our limiting our species really um, because we're perpetuated like, Oh, that's okay that you do that. Right. Like going back to the pizza example, you know, mm-hmm. if we're going a calorie in calorie out perspective, but in the back of my head, I'm like, well, this is what all the big fitness says. This is what all the big nutrition says. But I think quality inputs are going to lead to quality outputs and, mm-hmm. and well, whatever, this is what people are eating up. So I'm going to go yeah. with that. Right. Yeah. And then the other side of it is like, keep going, switching back and forth. Right. <laughs> but, um, it's like, uh, just demonizing the other perspective to build this up rather than like the true, the true work that's really into, okay, why this is valuable. And through that, through example, through good communication and articulation of these principles, that's what convinces somebody. Not like, hey, what you're doing is absolute dog shit. So do this instead. It's just like, you're breaking down one thing. So this looks a, a little bit better. You're not 
making it better or you're not communicating in ways that allow this to be perceived as a potential option for people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's an interesting web and this is something I continue to battle with in in um you know over the pat my my goal for my YouTube channel uh, by the end of 2023 was to reach 10,000 subscribers. I started the year at 1300. Okay. Something like that. And I hit, I almost hit 50 K by the end of the year. So I, Amazing. I five X that. Right. And so yeah. my, my audience grew a ton, but with that, like the amount of comments of what people, uh, think about something or what they want and, mm-hmm. and all this, like that increased a ton too. And I'm super grateful for that interaction. But with that, I'm now in a position where, okay, every single time I put something out, am I, am I, uh, staying true to myself? Am I making, yep. am I making the videos that I want to make bait? And, and that feedback is helpful. It's, it's part of it. Right. Yep. yep. But am or am I just completely losing my center to that influence there and allowing that to dictate what I put out and I want something to be agreeable to my audience? Right. Are you are you layering it with a veneer of approval? Yeah. I this goes to a, a basic principle that I observed, which is pretty simple. Like I mean at the start, you have two ideas for business. You have the hopeless romantic who has a product that they want to create. Maybe it's an idea they have. Maybe it's something of the most, the best ideas are things you want in your own life, whether it's a new, you know, Merino wool hat or, you know, a new widget or a new iPhone or whatever it is. And they start that they either start with the idea of making a product that has no compromise. And then they go down that voyage and then eventually it gets bought by someone and scaled or their idea is to make widgets, but the first idea is I want to make money. How do I make a widget that makes me money, right? There's two paths there from my observation and I'm not like a business major or a business person at all. I'm definitely in the first category. I make, I've cornered the market on non-scalable services. This is my own joke that I have with my wife. <laughs> so, um, and so what I've observed is that we make this product, whatever it is, this widget, um, and almost Always, when you scale a product to a certain level, it starts to become a piece of crap by definition, almost always. And this, we can apply this to almost anything. And by piece of crap, I mean, it depends on which lens you're looking at. I'm not saying it's a bad product per se, but when you're looking at it from an environmental perspective, when you're looking at it from the impact that the product has culturally, right? When you're looking at global supply chains, all these types of nuances when you scale, or even if it's an educational product, like I can sit down with a client for six hours, like I did yesterday and have a one-on-one education system that drills super deep, answers all these individual questions, is really tailored to that client, really offers them exactly what they need. This is what I did yesterday, but I try to scale that and inevitably it gets veneered with all these, mm-hmm. you know, because just as you said, you get these comments and people are like, well, why don't you make a video on this? Or why don't you teach, Cap- teach Capoeira? Or why don't you add more breakdancing or whatever people want in their stuff? I'm sure you've seen it just about everything. Um, and, and then it, yeah, it's, it's a real interesting tension. Like how do you, how do you remain true to the product that you want and have that relentless ideology to create the product that, you know, you want to bring to the world? 
how do you not compromise that? But at the same time, give it to more people. There's a, I, I think this is an age old question. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of when I first started my, my fitness business, um, my business name <clears throat> was Oddball Fitness. Mm -hmm. And some people like ate that shit up because yep. they identified with being the oddball. Yep. But it also was very alienating as yeah. well. Yeah. And people that could really benefit from this oddball stuff, uh, they that was a barrier for them. At least mm -hmm. that's what I noticed. And so yeah. uh, I was very much in that one camp of of, you know, without compromise and using language that I wanted to use and communicating in ways that I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to create a new paradigm with this and, mm -hmm. and, and talk in the language that resonates with me. And, you know, there's some perspective in terms of building a business these days. It's like, Hey, if you build, build your business as, as if you were the, the ideal client, build your business for you. Mm -hmm. But if I were to like, really, I can, I can do both. So, I mean, like if people call me a sellout at some point, like I know deep down, like what I stand for and what I'm putting out and, and the quality there. And that, that's, that's going to continue. If it changes, it's going to continue to improve. Mm -hmm. Like that, my goal is to continue to improve and, and, and be better at communicating this stuff, driving better experiences for people. Mm. Um, but the i like the idea of selling out like okay sure that means it reaches more people mm. and to me that is part of my mission uh i want to stay grounded mm. in my values and and perpetuate uh growth in a manner that um you know really takes all those things into consideration the things that i value um but at the same time, like I want it to be mainstream, you know, I, I want to usurp big fitness. I, mm -hmm. I want, I want to create a new space that's better. And part of that means that you have to play by some of the rules. And I wouldn't even say play by the rules. It's more so being really aware of the rules and understanding where you can break them. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of this comes down to the language stuff and the things I built uh, program wise and also with the YouTube videos, I had to strip away a lot of stuff that was just not accessible for people. It just didn't provide good entry points. It, it was a lot of like jumping off points, if you will. Mm. So I can take that perspective of building a product or a service for myself, but what would I have benefited from when I was 19 years old? I built a program for that called Smooth 45. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that would have been the perfect thing for me at that point in time. I would have been able to do the stuff that I knew how to do and then be exposed to different elements of more functional fitness stuff that was very connecting. Mm. And so that's the program I wish I had. Yeah. when I was 19 years old. And then same thing with this Primal 45 program I launched recently. 
And a lot of the stuff I post on YouTube in terms of these workouts is I went through animal flow and the animal flow certification and I found the education super valuable and, and all this. But I found myself just like kind of stuck in loops and I wasn't, I ended up starting to get a little bit more in my head about things and like analyzing really small details that sure some at some point may be important, but like I wasn't really growing my practice. And the reason I wasn't growing my practice is because I wasn't taking action with it. And so mm -hmm. I've actually put a lot of the primal movement stuff into a package that one coming from a traditional training philosophy or, or program, they'll be able to hop into that and understand what's going on. I mean, it's a templated program with time sets, mm. tempo, yeah. and some notes on some different details or, you know, load would be another one, but in primal, primal 45, it's all body weight. Right. So right, right. there's some traditional, um, components to that and a structure that allows somebody to start to get experience with it. And it's really like, it's awesome to be like, Oh yeah, I can just go out to a park and just flow and do my thing. But how does somebody get there? Yeah. And so I really look at myself at these different stages, what would have been beneficial for me? Because I could do those movements really well, but I wasn't showing up for them consistently enough to get the exposure to progressively overload myself and realize, okay, now I can start to weave this stuff together or, oh, I need to go find that next progression here yep. uh, rather than getting stuck in the weeds of, of more of conceptual stuff. And so the questions that I had at any stage, but you know, the questions that, and this, this relates to anything really, but like the questions that anyone has, or that I had on my, my training journey, they would have simply been answered through me taking action. And I was just so up here. Yeah, I was trying to figure it out all up here. How can I make this thing perfect? And the way I make it perfect or the way I get better is just doing the thing. Mm -hmm. So hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, it's a back and forth and it's going to be a blend. Um, but ultimately my goal is to, um, impact, especially with the trajectory of my YouTube channel over the last year, like I'm like, Oh, cool. I have an opportunity to really make an impact. And what would I have wanted if I were that person watching my videos? That's a great question. That's a great way to frame it. Um, this reminds me a bit of some of the, the guests I've had on my pod recently. I, the concept is sort of the, the wounded shaman that heals the world, right? It's like they, you have a life experience, you, you have an injury, you have an illness, you have a, some sort of challenge, and then you figure it out. And then you, then you go back and you, you take that tool that you use to figure out that problem to solve, to bring your, yourself to health, to restore, allow space for you to heal. And we all need tools in our toolkit to do these things. And then you offer that to other people so that when they have similar challenges, they can overcome their own own problems. That's really powerful. I mean, that's how you make the world a better place. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's um, I mean, this is the world we live in. Like this is the opportunity. That's why I, that's why I go back to my point about how I don't 
think you should discredit what synthesis means mm. because that gift and also the, you know, you and I were bitching about technology. <laughs> um, I mean, but the reality is this, this device and all these devices and all these YouTubes and things offer us the platform to do this. And yes, there are restrictions and sometimes it comes, the snake comes and gets you or you, you encounter the dragon and, and you have to sort of, Ooh, I got to take these videos off and deal with this and retitle that, or I don't know what exactly the details of what you had to go through were, but, uh, and I'm just starting to have some of those adventures on my own as I publish these pods on YouTube and whatever. But, um, yeah, sometimes we have to deal with that, but the reality is it's a, it's a massive platform and it is a chance to hopefully educate people and, and bring your gift out to a lot more people. Uh, that would have been impossible even 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and eating, eating shit on YouTube for four years straight and, and mm. having a perspective on that and, yeah. and, um, also being really grateful for, a video that you know got a hundred views and i was like yeah i i was like upset about it and to really like look at something like that and it's like wow like a hundred people watch this and i mean it took me probably three years of coaching one-on-one -on -one in small group to be able to reach a hundred people you mm -hmm. know and Yes, that's a more intimate and hands-on experience there. Yeah. But at the same time, to even just have an impact in some way, shape, or form uh, on a hundred people is is massive. And so, mm -hmm. uh, I'm certainly incredibly grateful for that journey and and excited to uh, continue to pursue it. And like I said, continue to get better. Um, I really appreciate you saying that about the the synthesis. There's been some challenging evenings uh, mm -hmm. of uh, no sleep thinking mm -hmm. through uh, a bunch of this stuff and you know who am I to be sharing this um, is this valuable um, mm. you know just a laundry list of anxieties and 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 just negative self-talk and, and going on in my head and just I don't think that stuff ever goes away. It just becomes more quiet or ends up maybe in a, in a more channeled in a voice that's more of what you need mm -hmm. because you've cultivated that, that level of, of uh, I brought this up on a live stream recently, productive self-talk. Mm -hmm. It's not all positive. It's, you know, sometimes those those that self-talk or the anxieties that come up like sometimes you could just brush those off and be like this is just an old neurosis that's trying to bring me down whatever and then other times it's like no this is like trying to bring me up mm. and if i can perceive them that way mm -hmm. um and step into that next level of myself that's able to um I guess, make that translation into something that, that is uh, more growth oriented um, that allows me to keep going. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the difference with everything, you know, and uh, you have like the ultimate, you have the ultimate example of, of keeping going on the bike right there, but <laughs> people that are successful. And again, I'm, 
I'm experiencing success in my own way, but I, you know, um, the reason I've been able to get to this point, the reason anybody's able to get to any point, uh, and sustain it is because they just keep going. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it's been really therapeutic to, to dive into this stuff with you today because, uh, yeah, man, it's no, I know everybody goes through it. There's just a ton of doubt and stuff that can trickle trickle in yep just keep on moving so keep moving keep centering keep believing in in your message and you know bringing your your message to to the people and and i i try to look at it as if i do get a little bit of shade or hate or or a negative comment or whatever here or there it's like okay i look at every one of them and think like okay does this you have to read into it it's like, is this this person's own drama that they're bringing to the equation? Or are they offering me something that's actually useful that can refine my yeah. my message, my task? Are they giving me a legitimate criticism and I just don't want to hear it at this moment because I think I'm the shit or because I think I know everything or whatever? It's like, all right, this is a chance for me to refine that message. That's how I view it. And then it's always sort of a positive, a positive spin, so to speak. Um, yeah, cool. So, hey, I wanted to ask you one bit about your podcast that I listened to before with Jordan, you mentioned something from a program that I haven't, wasn't familiar with. I can't recall the name of it, but you'll know. And you said you do, you do five things from this program pretty much every morning. And I wonder if you'd share that with the audience. One involved vision. Um, what was the name of that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that enough info to, hmm. at the time you oh, said you yeah, were doing yeah, it okay. daily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I'll tie this into primal movement. Um, so I, uh, I really view primal movement from three different levels, um, actual levels. So we have like more of the developmental and like laying down on the ground. Um, and this has a lot to do with baby movement. Um, mm-hmm. and so a really good program, uh, or system for this is, uh, original strength. And mm-hmm. so, um, this takes in five developmental resets. Uh, and so one is going to be diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, the next one is going to be head and eye movement. And a lot of times I'll do this in a prone position. So like kind of like a, a Cobra, like relaxed Cobra position on the ground where I'm mm-hmm. going through head nods and looking over my shoulder and, and driving the motion with my eyes. And then, of course, you could add whatever eye movements that you would want to do with that. You could also eliminate eye movement and simply work vestibular system in the inner ear, the balance systems by moving your head. Mm-hmm. There's, so um, <laughs> getting sidetracked. All right. Diaphragmatic breathing. Mm-hmm. We've got head, uh, head and eye movement. And then we've got uh, rocking. Uh, so rocking is literally going to be like your squat slash hinge pattern, uh, on the ground. You see babies do it all the time. Um, and this is going to be like rocking back in your hips and really firing, finding that anchor of your, your pelvis and your hips, Mm. uh, rolling. So, um, the easiest way to do this in the morning, I say easiest, but sometimes this is the hardest thing for people is, um, is soft rolling. So you're, this is moving from one side of your body to the other. So going from prone to supine. So let's say I'm lying mm-hmm. on my back, I'm going to lead my, and I know you, you're familiar with this stuff with, uh, uh, check, um, 
leading with the hand or leading with the arm and allowing that to roll you over to the stomach. And then mm -hmm. you could also reverse that by leading with the arm or leading with the leg. And I've got a video on this. I believe it's called five resets on YouTube. Um, okay. And the last one is a cross crawl pattern. Um, so this could be some sort of rotational crunch on the ground. I like to do that. Marching is going to be a really good one. Uh, any of the marching stuff or the cross crawl march is, is an amazing one, uh, from, uh, how to eat, move and be healthy. Uh, yep. love doing that one every single day. And then to bring it into the next stage of primal movement, like actually crawling. So this could be like a six point crawl on your knees. Mm. Um, this could also be elevating the knees off the ground and going into more of an intense crawl. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so we, to, so those are the five resets. We've got breathing, head, head and eye movement, rocking, yep. rolling and cross crawl pattern. And, mm. uh, I mean, if you go on the original strength, um, YouTube channel, Tim Anderson is, is the guy, uh, he, uh, he has so many different iterations of these rocks or rolls or head and eye movements or different breathing exercises in different positions. It's a really good YouTube channel to check out. I go to that for inspiration all the time and, and, uh, you know, uh, have no problem plugging that it's, it's been a really beneficial thing for me. So that was really my, um, entrance into, uh, developmental or baby movement, uh, was the original strength system. Okay. Cool. Yeah, that reminds me actually of a a series I've been doing for a while from AMN. If you're familiar with those guys, AMN Academy, it's Applied Movement Neurology Academy. Oh, okay. And, that makes sense. And they, yeah, they have a, it's like a, uh, they're very neurologically oriented and they they have a warm up that's um, like a rocking. It's like a quadruped rock. Yep. And then you do a roll just like you described, like prone to supine, prone to supine. And then um, they do, I do a head neck thing. Although I don't use eyes as much, it's more just getting my neck and my cervical spine to loosen up every morning. I do that pretty much every day. I do a little foam rolling and a little massage and because my head is still, I'm still uh, refining my pillow technology. <laughs> it's a never ending task, right? Oh, and man. <laughs> found a few good options, but uh, still not quite optimized there. It's like side sleep, back sleep, besides sleep. Anyway, and then That's the cross crawl. right there. <laughs> right? Yeah. Pillows, I know, right? Pillow tech. <laughs> So such a thing. Cool. Um, good. That's awesome. I mean, I, you know, most mornings, my morning routine is kind of varied. And a lot of times now I'm at the point where I, I guess kind of like you were saying, you know, how do you get to the part where you get to the park and you've got enough tools in your chest to do problem movement or animal flow. And you can just kind of almost make it an organic session where you begin to explore and you can kind of weave together different pieces, but then also add your own playful aspects, which Paul would refer to that as unbound play, which is so, I think, important in today's society of where we have this expectation that if we're going to go work out, we have to be smashed at the end of it and be like David Goggins and do 5,000 pushups in a day or whatever. And, and people more often in my experience could let go of that and just sort of just move, but integrate play into it. Like that's okay. And, and so when I wake up, I, I kind of feel into what I need for the morning and feel what my body wants. And maybe sometimes I'm not sure. So I try a few things and explore it. And it's like, mm, don't, that doesn't really do anything for me today. I'll try Qigong. I'll try some Tai Chi. I'll do, I'll do the MN warm up. 
sometimes it's mm -hmm. a, like a, a mishmash of synthesis of some different stuff, but there's common elements and, and those five are really, those are, those are common elements in my movement most mornings for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. I like yeah, it. It's, it's a ton of reflexive movement too. So it's, it's a really good way to kind of body scan and, mm -hmm. and recognize unnecessary holding patterns or unnecessary tension and how you can breathe through that and relieve it. And, and it's, it's the foundation, you know, and, and I, so to circle back, just to kind of close the loop on the primal movement stuff. And we've been talking a lot about check as well, and this ties into it, but mm -hmm. I've, another comment I get is like, I can't, this is so stupid. Why are we regressing to moving like animals? And it's like, well, mm. we are animals first of all. And mm -hmm. then you're also not, I, I don't blame anybody for a comment like that, but they haven't done the necessary. Uh, you could look at a few videos on my YouTube channel and, and find out why we're doing this stuff. So we mm. have that developmental stuff that allows us to really um, develop our brain um, in a more exploratory manner uh, and, and going from being on the stomach on the back to eventually getting up into sitting positions um, and then taking that into some quadrupedal crawling, uh, which would be that next level. So going through some of those basic quadrupedal positions of what I call a cat, crab, bear, yep. Yep. uh, monkey would be like, uh, more of that ancestral or primal squat. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff that you do out of that. That's involving support through the hands and it's more of a transitional movement. So I kind of keep it on that quadrupedal level. <laughs> And then the third level, so we have infant or developmental movement here. Yep. We've got quadrupedal movement, and then we take it up into bipedal, which is the connection there um, to most of what we're doing throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So those movements support what we're going to be doing on our two feet. And that's where we go into the, yeah. the check primal patterns right there, what we've had yeah. squat hinge press pull twist and then gate am i missing one yeah maybe, uh, maybe but gate is the synopsis is the is the end result of those so there's yeah squat exactly. lunge deadlift lunge the, yeah yeah and then push pull yeah. twist yeah yeah so integrating all three of those levels is something that i really noticed as kind of a a gap that a lot of these uh these primal movement uh systems were missing uh not to say that that wasn't of course it's like hey use this quadrupedal movement in sub in supplement with uh training onto two feet but yeah. make that that gap and then recognizing like the big thing is not just having those three levels but then making them all harmonious and being able to transition between all three yep is what you see the best movers doing when you're like on Instagram or on YouTube and you're just like, what is going on? This person is like all over the place. They're literally just transitioning between those three levels mm -hmm. and doing it in a very smooth fashion. And so, um, yeah. I don't claim to be the best mover out there. <laughs> I, I don't think I will ever be, but, um, it is really cool to see what people do with those three levels and hopefully uh, what, what 
the, the perspective that I'm sharing is going to allow people to uh, start their own journey with that. Yeah. Cool. I hope so. Well, um, Grant, I got to, I got to roll and get ready for another meeting here. And we've been on for a while. So I really, I just want to say thank you for your time and, and your attention, your energy and, and all the things you shared. And please tell our audience uh, all the places they can find your work so they can go forth and explore all the gifts that you're offering the world. Thanks so much for having me, Colby. Um, this has been an absolute pleasure and uh, excited to, uh, you're out in Boulder, so we'll have to yeah. connect in person. So, Dude, that'd be amazing. Um, if you're up here, yeah, I love that. I'll, th I'll throw out an idea. Feel free to transparently say yes or no. Um, but if you want to connect and, and film a session, maybe you and I do some movement together. We'll go outside when it's uh, not Arctic, Arctic hot weather like we've been having. <laughs> Um, we're recording this in January and last week it was like negative six was our high one day. It was totally insane. So maybe not on one of those days, but, uh, or if I'm in the Springs, I do have some, some things to do in the Springs from time to time. So maybe if I'm down there, I'll reach out and, and if there's time we can connect and film a yeah, session and throw up some, some stuff and help some people out and just move and you can, you can show me other ways. That'd be amazing. That sounds, that sounds great. Yeah. So we'll cool. make it happen. I've got some buddies out there. Um, and to answer okay. your other question, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Grant S Thomas and then, uh, the smooth moves Instagram account that's mm -hmm. S M O O V. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that is my YouTube channel as well. So S M O O V you type that in, you're going to see me mm -hmm. doing some fun stuff. You know, cool. you're in the right place. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks Colby. Appreciate right. the time. Okay. Have a good one. Peace. Bye. Hello there, Space Monkeys. You have reached the end of our discussion. Thank you for listening. If you have questions for Grant or myself, you can leave them on my Instagram. That's Cycling in Alignment. And if you want to learn more about Grant and his awesome teachings, go to his YouTube channel. That's Smooth Moves, uh, which is spelled S-M-O-O-V. M-O-V-E-S. Also, you can go to his website, smoothmoves.com. And if you decide to purchase his Primal 45 movement program, you can get 10% off by using the code CYCLE10. That's C-Y-C-L-E-10, the number 10, in all caps. That'll get you 10% off Primal 45 if you want to learn more about Grant's program and have him walk you through a step-by-step -step path to increase your function. Thanks for listening. As always, move with consciousness. Epilogue. I want to share a few brief thoughts about the inception of Cycling in Alignment. The purpose of this podcast is for me to get three and a half decades of hard-fought lessons out of my skull. Some of them through my own research and reading. Some of them I've been taught through mentors and colleagues, other riders, other racers, a lot of it, a massive amount of it was simply trial and error through my own stubborn methods. And that has amassed a certain amount of experience and knowledge, understanding. And while I think I'm reasonably smart and I know quite a bit of stuff, I want to make it clear that the opinions that I share on this podcast are belief systems built on what I've experienced to this point. And that some of those opinions are pretty strong, but they are also loosely held. 
That is to say that if I learn more about a topic and have a greater level of clarity or understanding, then my old belief systems will be abandoned and I will now operate under that newfound knowledge. So I'm not here to tell people all the things that I know. I'm here to explain what I've learned to this point. And there's a big difference. Also, that is the intent when I discuss things on the pod with guests is to learn from them and have a discourse. Because if we can't have a discourse as adults, then we've lost one of the basic tenets of modern society. Even if we disagree, we ought to be able to, in most cases, shake hands and walk away. Because after all, this is sport we're talking about. And while sport is training for life, it's nothing to get too upset over. The purpose of the podcast is to help me help other people and specifically to help them actualize their highest potential by illuminating a path that enables alignment with their truth, their intent, and their coherence. That's really the end goal. So I'm grateful for your listening. My intent is also not to be clear to gain an audience or become popular or gain social status in any way. I don't care about that stuff. That said, if you feel an episode that you have heard will help someone you know, please share it with them. That helps us reach the end goal, which is to help more people. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for your time and attention. Blessings.